the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast. Neil Tracy here with you alongside Fiona Hayes and Eddie O'Sullivan. And we were planning to go heavy on the uh, Champions Cup final recap, Leinster losing to La Rochelle at the weekend. But we do have some, uh, some news this afternoon. Uh, a bit of a coaching switch up in the provinces. Dennis Leamy, it has been reported in recent weeks, but now it is official. Dennis Leamy is going back to Munster. He's linking up with Graham Rowntree's coaching ticket. He's been signed as the new defence coach on a three-year deal. He had been working this season with Leinster as their contact skills coach. And Leinster didn't leave that vacancy too long to be filled because within an hour or two, they confirmed as well Sean O'Brien who only retired from playing 11 days ago. He's now back and he uh, back at Leinster and he is going straight into the coaching setup. He has taken on that role as a contact skills coach under uh, Leo Collins coaching ticket. So guys, there's plenty of news this morning to, to get our teeth through. Eddie, I might start with you and I might start on the Dennis Leamy news because he's someone who you would have given his, his first Ireland cap to against New Zealand back in, back in 2005. Can, can you tell us about what you would have seen from him down the years? Would, would he have always have struck you as, as a bit of a rugby brain, as a rugby nerd, someone who would have been getting involved in that side of things? Well, I mean, he, as a player, he was outstanding, obviously, you know, um, and he fought his way into probably one of the toughest departments to get into an Irish team for the last 20 years as always the back row. Uh, he wasn't the biggest number eight in the world in terms of his height and his bulk, but he punched way above his weight. And his smartness around the breakdown was colossal. You know, he understood the breakdown really well. Uh, he was famous for getting over the ball. And once he got on the ball, you couldn't get him off it. Um, you know, he, he had huge arms and he was very powerful. But he, that wasn't just his power. Um, I think he's, a, which was in evidence. Like, I remember once seeing him make a tackle over in the sale uh, in a Heineken Cup game, which was ridiculous. Um, the time, the number eight for, for sale was... Uh, the French number eight, wow. uh, Cheval, yeah. And somehow the scrum slewed around and Cheval got past the whoever's on the flank and he was gone up, like he was hitting straight for Raj, which was never going to be a good outcome. And somehow Leamy had one hand out and grabbed him by the collar and reeled him in, which is like extraordinary. So he had incredible power. I mean, it was, I, 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 went, I remember looking at the time and going, and I was sitting in the stand going, that's insane. And then I went back and watched and, you know, when I had it recorded and it was insane how we... Pull Cheval back, but one hand by the collar. Um, so incredible power. But again, he's understanding at the back row, you know, and number eight as well. You know, it's one thing playing six or seven, but eight, you've got to be able to multitask. So yeah, I think he he knows the back row stuff. He's obviously done a great job at Leinster. Um, so it makes complete sense for Monster to get him back in the fold because he's a monster man at heart as well. Uh, you know, so yeah, it may it's a really good signing for him, I, I think. Um, a good business on Monsters Bar for sure. And Fiona, when the news came in, I obviously just you know you're checking on the just double checking a few details on him. And what jumped out to me, like he's 40 years of age, he retired in 2012. And I just had this moment this morning where I was going, hang on, he was he was only 30 when he retired, like 50, whatever, 56, 57 Ireland caps, nearly 150 games for Monster. Like he packed a huge amount into amount into the years he had, and he probably still had a lot more to give if it wasn't for those injuries. 
Yeah, and what a phenomenal player he was from Munster. He talked about coaching him there, but I remember going up to Toman Park watching him and he just didn't look that big on the pitch, but every single game he got everywhere. He was everywhere around the place. Big carries, got over the ball, was guaranteed a few turnovers. I think uh, as well, it's probably one of the worst kept secrets ever, Neil. <laughs> Only confirmed today. I, 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 When I saw it, I presumed it was co- confirmed weeks ago because I've heard so much chatter about it. But look, he's, um, he's worked his way up you know he was coaching at schools level he went to club and obviously Leinster snapped him up and and even Josh van der Fleer talking about what he brought to him so it's exciting time for a monster but what a player he was and to 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 only be 40 years of age and to, to have come this far in coaching as well is really really good so it's exciting times ahead I think and and from a monster point of view even as well Fiona and speaking from your own background as you know growing up opposite Tolman Park and stuff if you were speaking as a Munster fan to have you know himself Mike Prendergast and Andy Kiriakou three people who know the club quite well coming into the to the senior coaching team how, how does that sit with you? Oh, that's brilliant. I think it's just, it's exciting. You know, people talk about Hart down in Munster all the time, talk about Toman Park. We obviously missed a, a few seasons with COVID and stuff like that, but you can see it starting to, it was building up nicely to Toulouse game, the fans up there to have a coaching staff that understand what the fans want, but also really, really good around the game. And we saw what Prendergast has done over in France and we see what Leamy can offer, but to, to have them coming back and, you know, I've gone to a few sessions in the academy where I've watched Kerry do sessions and, and he loves the club as well so it's it's brilliant for Munster that they can balance that coaching experience and tactical side of the game but also know exactly the style of rugby the fans and you always have to have those fans on board especially up in Toman Park and Eddie is it a good thing also as well that while they have the Munster DNA in them all, all these assistants coming in Andy Kiriaki, Mike Prendergast and Dennis Leamy that they've been out, or, out around the place as well and they've sampled other coaching cultures be it be it inside Ireland or outside Ireland like Leamy with Leinster, Mike Prendergast with his years in France and Andy Kiriaku who's been around the place in England as well Yeah look it's, it's always good to get out of the environment you've spent most of your time in as a player I think it's always good um, like for a coach to kind of stay in the same domain and coach on, it's quite hard because you, you only know one way of doing things is the way you play it and you, 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 in that particular domain. So I think to get away, especially overseas in particular, I think Mike Prendergast has done a hell of a trip in France and all these like huge experience. That's a massive coming in. Um, you'll always learn going away from home. You know, I get myself as a coach. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's a hard thing to do because the temptation is to stay to what you know. Uh, and, and if you, you can stay on where you are, it's, it's very easy. You don't, you don't have broke your family. You don't have broke your life. But you do need to push yourself out like, and, and get that experience. So the fact that they've been away and coming back, I think, is excellent. Yeah, it certainly brings new ideas and new views on things. And for their first few months, like when they come in next season, I know obviously Graham Ranch is the link to, to this season as well, but what's the approach that they have to take? Like, did they have to try completely get away from, from what was happening this year? Do they have to try bringing completely new ideas? Do they have to bring in a hell of a lot more discipline as well and kind of talk about the standards that are needed? Like, what's the... They're in a tricky spot, I suppose, coming in. Yeah, there's a reset button for a monster at the moment, you know, and no matter what happens this season with uh, Van Graan leaving um, and the whole new coaching ticket coming in, that is a reset moment. Um. The tricky part of it is that round three is there already. It's not completely new. So his honeymoon will be quite brief, I think. 
Um, you know, if he's going to move Munster on, he has, must have a pretty clear blueprint in his mind at the moment what's involved in that. And Munster do need, do need to move on, you know. I mean, I think we've been around this block a few times this year already, and, and not just this podcast. But um have to say that, you know, there won't, they, they'll have to be a lot of change very quickly. Now, the good thing is that I think the players will be in the headset for that as well. You know, everybody wants to kind of take the next step. But there won't be like they won't get a season to bet in, nor nor I think should they, you know. And Munster have been punching below their weight for a while. Um, we're not saying they're the best team in, in in Europe, but consistently they they need to deliver. And and in some ways we could segue into the discussion on on the weekend's games because they're playing Ulster away, and that's it's it's a very big game for both clubs. But uh, Munster need to make a statement next season, and and it has to be early doors. Um, so there was a lot of pressure. Uh, on round three, I think he knows that he's around the game a long time, but it does add extra pressure to the new guys coming in, that there isn't a lot of time to go bidding in and settling, and they need to hit the ground running, they need to have a very clear vision of what they want, they need to get that communicated to the players, they need to energise the players around that vision. Um, it's a tough one, because you usually get, when you come in on a new ticket like that, you usually get a little more time, but it's not a new ticket, let's not cut ourselves, uh, Graham Rowley has been there, and he must know what he wants, and he needs to be able to Get that message across very quickly, and I think that will be different from 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 a fan grounded. Every coach puts a stamp on his team. Um, so whether you like what fan grounded or didn't do, um, I think Roundtree knows that it's it's not going to be a long honeymoon period. Fiona, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think similar. I think yeah, obviously an area of the game where we probably will see big changes is is Prendergast and you know attacking rugby um I think we've probably been far too conservative at times and and that's something we've seen in the Munster team yeah they have slightly improved over the years and then uh kind of take a, a step backwards again towards the end of this season so I think it's it's an area we'll see it will take time to embed that and obviously Roundtree has worked very well with the forwards you know we've seen some really good young forwards coming through and, and that will will keep happening so it, it, I think these guys will get a couple of months together but pressure will come on around Christmas time I think when we start getting into that Heineken Cup to actually be able to visibly see a structure and its style of play and I definitely think that it's it's an area Munster attack wise we'll have to look at and maybe changing up that kicking game a little bit as well Eddie how important is this for a team or it might not even be important you know this is this is one for you to answer how important or unimportant is it to, to have a, a defined style to your team and not play the exact same every week but just to be able to modify it week on week because look one thing I would have noticed particularly this season with Monster being on their press calls week on week, looking ahead to various games. That something the players would have said a lot is when we're asking them about the style of rugby you're playing at the moment. And something they would say is that they 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 tend to change the way they play based on who they're playing, based on what the weather conditions are going to be like, based on whether it's going to be home or away. All these factors adding up to to how they're going to play. And like from my point of view, it's one thing having a, a kind of core style of rugby to your game. And also being able to tweak it according to those factors. But it does seem like those factors are kind of dictating the way Munster are playing week on week rather than having, you know, a, a philosophy to themselves and, and yeah. an identity to their rugby. Well, the first thing you should look at is what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are as a team. And historically, Munster, that, that, that famous Munster team that dominated the noughties, uh was basically probably the best pack of forwards in Europe. I mean, it was basically the Irish pack. 
six or eight of them all at like at different times. So they had that capacity. And what happened to Munster in that period was they usually got to the semi-finals and the finals during those heartbreak years by just beating the snot out of people. But when you got to the final or a semi-final against a big French team, you couldn't beat the snot out of their pack. And and then it came down to what you could do behind the, the scrum. And Munster got caught short a lot of those years. And then they, they made the breakthrough, you know, with Trevor Halstead and Dougie Howlett, those other players brought an extra edge to them. So I think they were in that mindset of, of having a, a game based on forward domination. And I think what's happened is that Munster pack dissipated and Munster were not that force that they, they were in the noughties. And in the last 10 years or so, even, you know, they, they haven't been able to dominate teams up front. They haven't been able to dominate teams in the URC or the, the, the Celtic League or that. But, you know, when the rubber hits the road in, in Europe, that's when it gets tough. And I think they didn't grow their game. I, I, I think, funnily enough, Rob Penny had a vision for them to play a, a more New Zealand-type game, which, to be fair to him, I think, was not far off where they needed to move to. Now, I think maybe... He tried to change too much too quickly. Wrong, wrong man, wrong time, was it? Yeah, and, and I think, to be fair to him, there was a lot in what he was trying to do, but he was probably too honest as well. And, like, if the dogs in the street were talking about the style of rugby he wanted to play, which is probably too much information, you know, uh, he needs to kind of gradually move there. But he, he didn't bring the team with him, and, and it, it blew up on his face a bit. You know, it was, that was a bit unfair on him. I think he had good vision. But my point is, you, you need to build your 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 philosophy around what you have and what you haven't got, it that can change. Most of went from having a dominant pack to not having the most dominant pack in Europe, and they needed to build around that, which meant, you know, developing their attacking game, and they never quite did it. And they went through phases, they went through phases where they kicked the letter off the ball. I mean, Conor Murray, the pen, is like from kicking box sticks, and that didn't change no matter what the weather was. So there's a, there's a bit of a flaw in that argument, you know, and you do have to change, because the other team gives you a game plan, but you're right. You don't reinvent the wheel every week. You know, and you can't reinvent the wheel every week, but you have to be able to change it up and change it down. And we we got what we saw monster over the years is that they used to get so far because they were good at what they did, but they could never land the silverware because at the end of the season it caught up with them. Mm-hmm. And um, someone asked their own signings as well, who they brought in, who they brought out. Uh, so it's 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 not as simple. There's a lot of moving parts in it, but I think monster still have been punching below their weight, which I hate to say that as a monster man myself and head for monster. But I, I think they, there's more in them. And I think maybe we saw glimpses at the end of the season that there was more there. But then again, you know, the wheels came off again when they met Leinster, which is not a I mean the end of the world. Leinster are still a very good team. So I, I think next year what they need is they need to set out their stall early. We need to see how monster aim to go. And, you know, if they fail in the process of trying to get their people in more understanding. But I think we need to see a shift up. And Fiona's right. They need to look at their attack. They need to look at their transition game. They need to look at their kicking game. There's a lot they need to look at. And their defence, they, they, funny, they changed the defence at the end of the season. They went to a soft drift defence. That's how that's been really productive from. Like, they were playing up and in all year and getting destroyed at 13. So, like, they're the things that they need to get figured out. It's, and there's a lot of stuff in it. But I, I'm not buying, I don't buy into the thing that, oh, they need six months to get this figured out. Like these are all professional athletes. Be a good pre-season there now, where they'll need to get their house in order and leave come out and we'll see evidence of what they're trying to do. They won't be perfect at it, but we'll be able to say after a couple of months what months are trying to do is it the right thing, is it the wrong thing, or could they do it better? I think they are all legitimate discussions. But um, 
let's the season in Norway at summer getting a bit ahead of ourselves maybe <laughs> well that that leads me that leads me nicely to the the next question I was about to ask to Fiona you said the season isn't over yet but will it be over by 10 p.m on Saturday on Friday night I don't know. It's it's we saw two very different uh, monster performances, haven't we, in the last two games? So if you if you were on the back of that two lose game, you'd say absolutely not. Um, this monster team will be able to go up to Ulster away and and handle that pack. But then having watched that Leinster game, you know things just didn't quite fit. Um, might have been a bit tired. Um, look, I, I I think I heard rumors as well that maybe they had t- took too much time after the Toulouse game and they hadn't gone in and done their usual weeks kind of prep around it. They'd done the mental prep, but not kind of the stuff on the pitch. So that could have had a big effect. Look, I think it's it's the same as Leinster this week. It's it's a chance for Munster to wipe that slate uh, clean. They got a lot of stick after that Leinster team. You know, people were calling it a third Leinster team. Um, so look, it's it, it's a chance for them to do it. It's actually really interesting. And um, when I look back at the stats from that last game up at uh, Ulster, we know Munster came away with the win, but it was actually like dominated by um by Ulster at times. They had fifty five percent possession. You know, in the meters carried, they had over sixty meters plus. Um, they uh like they had turnovers ten apiece. Both conceded around thirteen penalties each, but it was just a, a far more clinical performance, I think, by Munster, and especially in that red zone. I thought they were really, really good um, when they attacked kind of square and narrow under the post. They were really fixing those Ulster defenders and it's something they'll similarly have to do. We saw the Sharks. They went from side to side the last time they played up uh, up in Ulster and Ulster's defence was actually outstanding. Nick Timoney was unbelievable. Um, Dwayne Vermeulen was was brilliant as well. Um, But we saw in the last maybe 15, 16 minutes that they could have lost that game as well because they imploded. But that is sheer because the Sharks changed up the way they played and really tried to attack the soft shoulder the outside channels so I do think that Munster will attack them physically but they will have to get that ball into the back line and change the point of attack at times as well Yeah and it's funny Eddie Fiona referenced the, the game at, at Kingsman Stadium between the two sides probably five, six, four or five weeks ago and you know if you were to ask someone at the time who's on the who has the upward trajectory heading into the business end of the season, you would have been thinking Munster based on the fact that mm. they were, you know, fly, like, not, I say flying high, but they were motoring well in Europe. They were back into, into a contention for a home quarter final. Ulster, it looked like, were pretty much out of contention for a home quarter final. They would have needed to win their last two games against Edinburgh and Sharks, which they've yeah. got done. And now Munster, it looks like, have kind of fallen off a, fallen off the wagon again. Yeah, they, look, that's the ups and downs, I guess, but... I think that I think you can you can forget about all that happened up to now. Actually, when it comes to this game on the weekends, for me, um, there war these are watershed games for both clubs. Like if Munster, it's a long drive home in Belfast. If Munster lose tomorrow night, like, or, uh, like it's it's just going to be a tough day out. Um, their season will just peter out and nothing, um, and there'll be a lot of navel gazing. But I suppose the only thing is the coach is leaving. There'll be the reset button. You know, people look forward to next year a bit easier. Whereas if Ulster lose this one, this is another lame duck season for, you know, I hate to say it, but the biggest problem Ulster have had over the last number of years, no matter who's been coaching them, actually, is that they have promised an awful lot every year to a point and then the wheels have come off. Um and it's only a quarter final. You know what I mean? Like these are these Ulster and Munster are talking about silverware this year. 
and they're only Pat the Silverware now as URC. So they're under a lot of pressure, both clubs. And, and if Ulster lose on Friday night, it's going to be huge question marks around them. But how could they end up falling out of Europe um, all by this, by, by this narrowest of margins and then coming up short, not getting to the final four in the URC? Um, there'll be a lot of navel gazing in Ulster and, and it will be a setback. So they're under massive pressure. Most of season hinges on this, but there is the out that psychologically, if they lose on Friday night, they'll be a lot of weeping and gnashing your teeth for a week or so, and then everyone will start thinking the next season because Graham Rowntree's taken over. But I, I think the context is that Ulster have more to lose in some ways. It's, it's not a lot, but they have more to lose. So I, I think Ulster have to win this game, have to stay in. They have to, just see, they have to extend their season. Um, you think they will? So I think... I think they probably will at home. Yeah, I think they probably will. I think the things are in their favour. Like, I'll probably get flayed for saying that, but I think it may, it, it's, it's so important to them not to lose on Friday night. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to Munster. Don't get me wrong before people yeah. lose their mind on this. No, but I, I think, no, it's clear what you mean. You know, like it's, no, it's, it's a must-win scenario for on it for them. There's more riding on it for them. As, Correct. And, and, and if Munster lose, they'll be devastated and there'll be a lot of, lot of shrapnel flying next week. I have no doubt about it. Um, but I think people pivot away and say, look, we're resetting the button here. Graham Rountree's taking over. New coaching staff coming in. La, 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 la. It's easier to pivot away. If Ulster lose them tomorrow night, where do they pivot? You know, that to me is, that means that they have to win this game. But it's still a lot of stake. I mean, if it will, if, Ulster, if Munster lose against Ulster, it'll go down as a very, very average season for Munster. A team that set out their saw at the start of the year about landing silverware. So apart from the the only real highlight really is the, the loss, you know, to Toulouse before the final. So you know you're talking about a loss as your highlight. The team yeah. frame it like that, you know, and and you hate to say that, but that's what you're talking about. So it's an interesting game. I, I think you can take whatever happened in the ORC between the two of them and tear it up and throw it away. I think it just comes down to tomorrow night who wants this and who needs it the most. And that's why I think Australia nick it. Be very tight. And look, the yellow card, they always say the yellow card at the wrong mm-hmm. time, a couple of penalties, a scrum gets on top with the other scrum because the referee reads it that way, it changes the game. But if things are go to plan, I think Ulster need this more than Munster at the moment. Um, in fact, I might get criticised that, but I think if you look where Ulster are sitting today and the, if they wake up Saturday morning, their season's over. Jesus, it's a long off-season. And um, well, where do they turn next, you know? Fiona, gun to your head. How do you see it going? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a very tight game. Um, oh yeah, I think Munster could just come out on top. I think there's the guys that didn't perform in that Leinster game. There was pressure. There's a lot of pressure on to make some tours. We looked at Carberry. He probably didn't have his best game against Leinster. Um, the back row were nowhere to be seen at times against Leinster. Um, so I I, I think it's it's you're looking at guys that are also trying to make a tour in New Zealand. So like, yes, it's a huge game for the clubs, but we've got guys that want to push on and try and play with Ireland. So I think there's a few guys that want to have a bit of retribution after that game. And I think that maybe Munster might just sneak a win, maybe two, three points, but, but Ulster up in Kingspan is very, very hard to win away. Like, Yeah, that game is Friday night and live radio commentary and RT Radio 1 Extra. Um, on Leinster, before we get into the Champions Cup final, we'll just touch on Sean O'Brien, who obviously was announced this afternoon as the replacement for Dennis Leamy as the, the contact skills coach. And it's funny, Eddie, I mean, you, you lose a 50-plus Cap Ireland international back row from your coaching team, and a couple of hours later, you can just bring in another one. 
if if Sean O'Brien is is anything close to the coach as he was as a as a player, he's going to have a pretty good career ahead of him. Well, no question about that. If he is as close, and I, I know, I think it's a bit of a surprise that a guy is literally hanging up his boots mm. uh, on a Friday and picking up a whistle the following Monday. You know, um, uh, it's it's a obviously. You no, know, Leinster are making this decision based on having talked, you know, and there's no reasons to doubt he won't be a very good coach because he's gone into his area of expertise. And again, Sean was world-class back row player, uh, could play across the back row effectively. Again, a bit like Leamy, you know, massively powerful guy, understood the game, uh, has played at the highest level. So, yeah, he's the guy with a, a playing CV. The big question is always for a player is how you'll make the transition to a coach. It's, it's a different thing. Like the key is like is the only thing. Most of these players are really good at what they do, but they're not, even, they're not sure how why they're good. They're just very good at it. And they've always been good at it. The trick as a coach is to have to tell people how to yeah. do that, you know. So that's his big shit, and it's a it's a brave step um, to take because again, Leinster is a big club, a lot of expectations, a lot of pressure. Uh, players will look to him every week to say, "All right, Sean, what are we doing here to get better?" You know. So he's stepping into a fairly tough business. Um, there's no reason to believe he won't succeed, but he'll have to prove himself. Just because you're a world-class player doesn't mean you're going to be a world-class coach. It's a different ball game altogether. But you wish him well. And again, he's going into an area where he has huge, deep knowledge of he was in the trenches for long enough. He knows how it works. The question is, can he get his messages across? Uh, so it'll be a steep learning curve from, but no reason he won't succeed if he really wants to do it. Yeah, and Fiona, like Leinster's track record of of hiring coaches would suggest that they probably they probably have seen something in him. Mm. Yeah, they must have because I thought it was strange as well because as we said, he's just been playing with London Irish just decided to retire. But they've worked with him for for long enough. They understand, I suppose, how he how his mind works and and Leo, who's up there with him, has obviously seen something in him as a as a player that he's able to get these things from other players around him. So it, that that must be in him already because I know a lot of player coach that turned coach that took them a while to try and be able to understand how you know because they in their head as Eddie said you just know it and you I've seen coaches say just do it you just do it but sometimes players need like you know step one step two step three so trying to get that knowledge across as a as a really high class player can be hard at times but I would imagine he's done it up in training when he's been at Leinster and I think he's he's going to be outstanding and you know talk about a pressure situation with all the emphasis after the La Rochelle game being on that breakdown and and how things went a little bit wrong around that area I, I I would imagine he's got his notebook out already trying to trying to see how he can stop people slowing down that ball. Yeah, and I suppose that's the neat little segue into into the Champions Cup final because if if one man over the last while could probably put his hand up and say he's a decent example of someone who's hung up the boots and gone straight for the whistle, as you said, Eddie, it could be Donica Ryan who uh, made the switch to La Rochelle this season and things seem to be going all right from their point of view. On the, on the game itself at the weekend, the immediate thought from a lot of people was same again. It was La Rochelle just completely beating Leinster down, physically physically beating them. Uh, in the in the few days since, when people have been able to review things, is it a bit more sophisticated than that? Than rather than just they got the better of them physically. Oh yeah, yeah there's more. There's many many layers to it, um, and certainly when you play one of the top teams in France, which La Rochelle are. And obviously, really well coached team know what they're about, know what they want, know what their their DNA is. Um, but they're going to be physical, so that's that's given. 
and, and Leinster are always going to probably lose a little bit on the physical stakes, but I don't think that was the, the whole story. Like, I mean, look at the going into the game, and this is La Rochelle isn't the only team that, that Leinster play, but Leinster led the stats in every department, frankly, in the you know, Cup. Tries, points, carries, conversions, clean breaks, defenders beaten, meters carried, tackles. The only stats that, that La Rochelle led the Heineken Cup in was lineouts one, which is basically depends on how often you pick the ball. The other thing picks the ball to touch, you know, so you're not really in control of that. And the other one is they conceded more penalties than anybody. Not the one you want. So on any metric, Leinster were the favourites, and they were the favourites. But what happened on the day was La Rochelle did everything that an underdog must do to win a final against the odds, right? So what did they do? No, they, they started badly. They were under the cash, but they survived. Like, they stopped Leinster scoring any tries. So who would have gone in and said, you'll stop? You'll play Leinster for 80 minutes, they won't score a try. This is a team that are, like, just like a triumph-scoring machine. So how did they do that? Well, they did it very smartly. They really contested at rock time. They really went after the Leinster rock, which was a smart strategy. And they were in trouble early doors because they were getting pinged by Barnes at a few rocks. And it looked like, geez, they'd better cut themselves on here. But they got smarter. They read Barnes better. They were more aware of when to go for it. And they were smart about doing it. And they slowed down Leinster's rock ball, which had the immediate effect of taking Leinster out of their rhythm, out of their cadence. So we saw Leinster struggling to find that rhythm that, you know, you know when Leinster are in their rhythm, it's, it's, going, it's a try is coming. Is it the fifth truck or the seventh truck or the ninth truck? It doesn't matter. They're going to get over the line here. That didn't happen. Um, and the other thing they did is they were very smart. They brought the shooter up and in when, when they knew Leinster were trying to go wide. So when the Leinster player looked up and tried to make that long pass to the corners to get into a sort of challenge, there was a, a La Rochelle guy standing in his line of vision, sent him back inside. So defensively, that was massive. To keep Leinster without scoring a try and keep them out of the outside channels, that was the bedrock of the game. And then after that, it's down to fighting and fighting and fighting. No, Arashel got three tries as well. You know, they, they, they got their chances, not as many as Leinster, but they took them. But what you do in the bigger picture is if you're an underdog in a final, you do everything to stay in the game. And you go into the last 10 minutes with a one-score game, you've done your job. And then it's down to, you know, the, the rugby gods whether you get that last chance shot. And they got the last chance shot and they took it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, had, had, had they knocked on the ball, you know, during those pick and jams, or Leinster got a turnover and they cleared their lines and the final whistle went, we said, ah, there you go, favourites won the game, you know, nah, nah. But Rarachel actually did what they had to do. They kept, they stayed in the game, they hung in there and would like literally five minutes on the clock. There was a one score game. And that's all you can do as an underdog. And then you see in this last five minutes, can we cash in? Can we get a? And they got the field position and they didn't panic. They took it. So it was a kind of a classic case of how an underdog team wins a final against the odds. They take the stuff that the other team are good at and they take it away from. Like they stop their quick rock ball. They keep more of the outside channels. And they hang on and take every chance they get. And La Rochelle got, I think, three or four chances to score a try, and they got three tries. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the half, just before half time when they were on the Leinster line, and then Leinster turned them over and went down and got a penalty go off. You know, but in fairness, La Rochelle, they didn't panic. And it was just Raj talked about when they were down to, I mean, again, they went down to 14 men, and you go, that's it. Um, in a funny way, Raj reckoned that galvanized them. 
which again is interesting. Yeah. So, you know, the margins were going to be, for La Rochelle to win last weekend, the margins were going to be insanely tight, but they got it done. It was a perfect example of how an underdog team wins a final as an underdog. And that, that's to me, is the big takeaway. It was a brilliant strategy. It was a brilliant game plan. They hung in there, they hung in there, they hung in there. And Leinster, as you see with teams that having their lunch eaten on them, they, they go into themselves more and more. And Leinster didn't find the rhythm. And then the mistakes start to creep in. The famous mistake, where why didn't Johnny kick the ball to touch instead of trying to take that step? You know, why didn't Hugo Keenan kick? You know, um, you saw then when, 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 and I don't know why they took Johnny off because, you know, no disrespect. To, I, to, I do, to I do think, I do think on that it was, it, it was definitely there was definitely an ankle injury playing its part in that. I would say he. Yeah, was, and I, I accept he, that. He I accept that. But I, awkwardly after the after that that incident where he probably should have kicked and he mm. got caught up himself and he hurt. Oh, his no, ankle. I, and I accept that. But my point is that I would really need him to have to be dysfunctional to take him off because he's so important to him. In those last minutes, someone of his experience, and and it's not. It's 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 no disrespect to Byrne coming on. He comes on, he kicked the penalty, but he he panicked a bit as well in that last quarter or the last few minutes when they needed him. And I just thought, look, that's playing Monday morning quarterback, and I I, I should never do it. Nobody should do it. But I can see where they may take him off. But I thought once Johnny went off, I I had another moment where I go, oh, Lara Shell are going to be happy about this, you know, yeah. for whatever reason he went off. So look. Long story short, La Rochelle played the perfect game as underdogs to win a final. And if they played Leinster next week, would you back Leinster to lose it? I don't, I don't know. I think Leinster probably wins if they played again. But it doesn't matter. It's a final. It's a one-off. And you credit to Raj for getting so many things right on the day. And they still might have lost it, you know. But even if La Rochelle lost, I would have said he couldn't have done any more than he did. You know, to stay in yeah. the game, and it lo- and then they got the break they needed to win the game in the 80th minute. Like the game was over, so it was the perfect game plan, the perfect execution, and the perfect outcome. So hats off to Raj for that. But Leinster will kick themselves because they let themselves get put into that position. They didn't adapt their game. They didn't adapt what was happening around them, and they panicked a little bit. No one in particular, but everybody in general was out of their game, out of their comfort zone. And didn't get the game of the scuff of the neck. And there is, there's a there's a Champions Cup gone down to Swanee. There's the fifth star gone, start again next year. It's a tough one to swallow. Um on the discipline, which you mentioned there, like all 21 points of Leinster's total came from penalties. Um <laughs> one thing I was kind of wondering afterwards, and you mentioned that like the high penalty count, particularly in the first half, is this is it purely a coincidence that like of Johnny Sex of the six penalties Johnny Sexton kicked, all six were at various lengths out, but they were all directly in front of the sticks. And you spoke about how Lara Shell went in particularly aggressive at the breakdown. They it was offside as well that they were caught on as well a few times in midfield. Would a team, for example, if you were taken on a side who were a try scoring machine, would it ever be conceivable from a coaching point of view to say to your players, if you want to try? Try creep on offside. Try steal that extra half yard. Do it in the center of the pitch. If you want to go really, really aggressive on the ball, do it in the center of the pitch. Try not to do those things out towards a touchline because the temptation is always going to be there if you're straight in front of the sticks in a in a final to tap these over for a penalty rather than pumping them to the corner. Is that is that completely galaxy braining things? Is it overcomplicating it from my point of view, or or is you know is there something in that? Yeah, you are overcomplicated. Okay. 
<laughs> I was thinking. I, 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 I think you, you don't want to give you don't want to give away penalties anywhere. Great in front of the post. You want to give? I, I sense that, that. I mean, Johnny could have kicked some of those penalties that he didn't that he put to the corner. You know, I just think Leinster were feeling the mood, and I think Leinster would say if they'd got if they'd got enough. Like playing a French team, you know, as well as psychology. If Leinster got enough space between them, and you could say arguably they had enough space between them and Larisha, but they didn't quite get away from. But they could have got away from, you know, maybe more than two scores. Larisha would have probably said it's not our day. So there was a bit of that thinking. And to be fair, Leinster do convert a lot of those opportunities they put into the corner. They have a good lineout. They're they have good ball retention. And usually the ones you put into the corner, if you hold on to the ball, you get an easier penalty to kick. Two or three minutes later, you know, from the lineups. So no, I know I I don't think there was any major strategy about when they gave them up and when they didn't. Like Rarishell have sailed very close to the window the weekend. You know, one more penalty would have probably done it for for from Leinster. You know, yeah. uh, so they were there, but that's what they were doing. Rarishell, they were playing right on the edge, which you have to if you're the underdog. And they it worked out from you know I bet you Rod just turned his hair a few times on the field. Some of the penalties they did give away because you know. It could have cost them the game. But look, it just worked out perfectly for La Rochelle, not by accident, but by design, which is to me is the great thing yeah. for them. And specifically on that, you say it, it wasn't by accident, it was by design. And one sure, thing absolutely 100 percent yeah. yeah. One thing, Fiona, that Raj said in the post-match press conference, and he said they had really, really looked into the Toulouse game the into Leinster's games this season, particularly in the latter half of this season. Mm. And he said they one thing they had isolated was where Leinster were most vulnerable were the last 20 minutes of a game. And that was what, like, that that just really jumped out when he said it, because if you think about it, it was 18-10 pretty much mm-hmm. heading into those final 20 minutes. And that's when La Rochelle struck. That's when they wait, you know, they wait, like, okay, they could have been maybe a little bit closer to Leinster had it not been for discipline, but that's when they got those last two tries and that's when they really had them on the ropes. Yeah, and that's it. I think he said like they came in at half time and they were all moping around the place because they, they were losing. But you know, I think uh Keen Tracy was saying it was stats he used, you know, instead of emotion, it was stats he used when talking to his team and that Leinster more likely score in the first 20 minutes of the game. And La Rochelle more likely score in the last 20 minutes of the game. So if you can say this to these guys who are tired and say you are, we are within uh, two tries. We know we're well able to do this. You know, he also probably brought in the point. These guys don't even want to attack us. They're happy taking their points. Um, so it was, it was almost... It was almost like it was it was meant to be because, you know, we hadn't seen I hadn't seen a Leinster team play that way. You know, I like you're looking at a massive pack in front of you and you're thinking, why are you not moving these guys around? Why are you giving them a minute and a half to to relax and take your kick? And everyone gets to take a few breeders, the big front rows get their time and they come at you again. So it, it was just interesting that, you know, hats off like to La Rochelle and Raj the way he attacked it it was it was brilliant he looked Eddie spoke about defensively he looked at that we saw how they slowed down the rock you know but like something that really jumped out to me was when I was looking at the stats from the game because you watch a game but sometimes you miss a lot of things and the the whole pack and the sub pack that came on between them all they only had 15 carries 
which is very, very unusual for, for a Leinster pack. You know, you're looking at La Rochelle, the guys that came off the bench offered seven carries. So they had 30 altogether. So it was almost like um, they were they were shell-socked, this Leinster team. They, they didn't want to carry. They might have been a little bit tired. And that's credit to, to La Rochelle defence. But they, they knew they had the backing, they had the belief that if they stuck in there and you almost felt like as it was getting towards the last 12 minutes, you felt like they were going to get up that pitch and to have the the concentration levels I've never seen a French team have those 12 minutes of out and out concentration they were so clinical there was no errors it was the Leinster team that was making errors and that to me is is something that a coach has installed in this team they wanted to win it and he installed that confidence in them and it was brilliant to see yeah that that last 10-12 minutes in particular Eddie like was really fascinating to see because I marked it down. I think it was Sunday morning. I was looking back at it. It was around 78 minutes, 40 seconds. Leinster conceded a penalty. And the final 11 minutes and 20 seconds of the match were played exclusively within 10 metres of Leinster's try line. And they did not touch the ball once. Well, if you watch rugby in general and you find, I've seen this over and over and over again, no matter how good one team is or how bad the other team is, if the team is in one score of you with 10 minutes left, Mm. they will get a shot. It's just how the rugby gods seem to work, is you get a shot. And La Rochelle knew if they, they must have known, if they stayed within striking distance of Leinster, they'd get a shot. And when they, they all knew, La Rochelle knew that this was it when they got into that zone. And if they let Leinster, if they let Leinster off the hook there, they might not get back in again. So there was an element of, of concentration that meant that they knew every carry could be the last carry. You know, every rock could be the last rock. So there was no room for error. So they showed incredible. Now, the other thing there is, I think, that maybe, uh, again, you've got to see is that Leinster would have probably fancied themselves as being a little bit, you know, we had a lot of talk about uh, ball and play time, you know, from, from, the, from, from, the, from the previous yeah, from the semifinals and how we've the ball and play more in, in, in the URC than we have in the, in, the, in the top 14. And that, you know, La Rochelle wouldn't be able to live with Leinster in the last quarter. Um, I didn't see any slowing down of the game really I mean like La Rochelle were right up there with Leinster to be fair and that goes down to their strength and conditioning uh, you know that they were able to as Fiona said bring that intensity and execution because the one thing on does you in the last 10 minutes is not your will to fight it's your, your fatigue you know that ball goes to ground or something um, or you know if somebody flops at a rock and gives away a penalty instead of extending their feet so they kept that level of intensity and I always I just felt I had a sinking feeling, like, if I was a Leinster fan, that once it got into the last five minutes and there was a four-point spread, that that's a horrible lead to have four points. Can I ask a stupid question at this point? And I'm not saying... I'm, I'm not really saying, could Leinster have done it? Uh, because you'd be kind of daft to do it in a final. What I would be wondering is, could we see a point in the next few years where... Some coach decides, some absolute maverick lunatic coach decides that we're three or four point, you know, we're four or five points up in the final few minutes. We haven't touched the ball in the last five, six minutes. We're defending our own line. We are conceding penalty after penalty after penalty. Could you potentially see a coach trying to, you know, take a leaf out of an NFL head coach's playbook and say, do you know what? Let's let them in for a score, take our chances and get our hands back on the ball. And we'd have a shot to win the game. 
could I'm not saying Leinster should have done it at the weekend yeah. Cup final rugby but I, I was a little bit curious as to could we actually see this happen someday and if it does work out my god that coach would be hailed as a genius well if you if, if you do that it better work out or yeah. it's going to work um, <laughs> the difference I suppose the difference in, in the difference in, in between the NFL and rugby is the key difference is is that you are guaranteed to get the ball yeah, back yeah. in the NFL yeah. so if you if you if Leinster give up a try they'll give the ball back to Lara Shell and how are you going to get the ball back you know so there's that consideration which in the NFL you know if you let in the touchdown I, I've seen games in NFL where a player has been running in for touchdown Stop. and taking a knee yeah. so that they get the first down and they run the clock out so they're all but it's yeah it's, it's possible that we'll have more strategic thinking around the end game which you see in basketball and, and NFL be, uh, all the time and now that the clock is down to the last second which you didn't have before if you think about years ago uh, the referee decided when, how much extra time there was and they'd do the whistle whenever they wanted but um, look, yeah, it's it's a possibility. But um, yeah, I think that that's more something down the line. And I don't see any coach at the moment making that decision. But the other the other thing I would mention there is that I thought Leinster were lucky in the end game there, and uh, not that it made any difference in the end. But had Leinster hung on, the big question would have been is why they weren't yellow carded. Yeah. Because they were in yellow, they were definitely was, yellow cards. They gave away, they gave away five, they gave away five penalties and, yeah, like and, me, a, further, like, and a further like, penalty advantage during that spell. Yeah, if the shoe was on the other foot, if that was an Irish team pound or a French team's goal line, you know, and they didn't get their card, we'd be all jumping up and down. But in fairness, La Rochelle had a very, if they, it didn't matter in the end because they got, they got the win. But if they, La Rochelle had for some reason got turned over, they didn't score. You would have said, well, hold on a minute, five penalties on your own goal line in the last five minutes. How was that not a yellow card? Now, in fairness, I thought Barnes had a really good game, but I thought he was backing out of that one there because he knew that if a yellow card there, that was curtains, you know, like at that level, yeah, uh, be impossible to hold out. So he didn't want that responsibility. So lucky for Barnes, Laura Shell's court. And just with that Neil as well, remember in NFL you get to send on a whole other team to attack different than defense. So they, they've had their rest and they're ready to go. I, I want to, I want to see it happen. I desperately want to see it happen. Before we before we finish up, guys, I do want to kind of we we touched on him there earlier on, but for, for Ronan O'Gara and the scale of his achievement at this stage, like Fiona, he's at a point now where it's really going to be fascinating in the next few seasons to see what he does with his career. He has one year left on his current deal at La Rochelle. Mm. I would imagine their director general is, you know, absolutely baiting down his door to get him to sign a new contract. And particularly a year out from a World Cup, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what sort of move he makes or does he even make a move? Yeah, I know it's 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 so riveting. It's it's crazy when you start hearing talks that England are looking for Ron O'Gara as well. I've heard a, a few different people telling me that that would be quite upsetting. I think for us if we if we lost him to England. But look, there's so much choice there. He's done it all. He done it over in the Crusaders. He's been unreal at racing. Then he's moved to you know a lot of people would have said John O'Gibbs, but we saw Rog take the step up. He took over and he's and he's he's gone one step further and won this. So he he offers a lot. He's a great character you know he he done a ride in with him and you you saw the influence of both of them so it, it's funny I, I would imagine looking at his cv he's going to want to move on somewhere else he seems to want to get involved in a few different things whether his end game is 
is coming back to Ireland. Maybe he could want to coach France someday. You just don't know. As a coach, you want to be coaching at the top level. You know, you look at the likes of Leo Cullen. He's he's had Leinster for so long, but Raj seems to be learning different styles. Robbie learning his trade, and and hopefully we will see him back uh, personally at Munster. I'd love to see it someday. Um, but even with Ireland, so he, he I think the sky's the limit for him at the minute, and his rugby CV is absolutely through the roof already at such a young age. Final final word for you, Eddie. What would what would your advice to to him be as a as a former test coach? Well, he's doing nothing at the moment. Just get on with his job. You know, he's like I think the major achievement from you know, and we talk about being in, in the Crusaders and being in in, uh, in 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 They were all uh, assistant coaches positions. So this is his first rodeo as a head coach. So. To me, that's an extraordinary achievement in your first season of head coach to achieve what he's achieved and built on what was built on the previous year, you know. Um, so he's really kind of announced himself now to World Rugby as, as a bona fide head coach at the highest level. So there will there'll be no shortage of offers from I mean, it depends up to himself. I mean, La Rochelle isn't the worst place in the world to live, you know. Mm. Um, it's a really nice place and he's a, he's a local hero now. So I think La Rochelle will try and all around him, but Look, it's up to his own ambitions. I, I suspicion as well he would probably like to coach Ireland at some point. Now, the thing about coaching your country is it tends to happen in cycles, four-year cycles, you know, so that if he wanted to coach Ireland in the shorter term, he'd have to put his hand in the ring after the next world, before the end of the next World Cup. Does that fit with his plans? You know, particularly if he's young, his young family, does he want his family to go up in France? You know, there's all those considerations. But if he doesn't do that, then you're talking about 2027, you know, and, and you know, what, what happens between now and 2027, you don't know. So, like, there's a lot of moving parts again there, but I would say for him, you know, like, the ball's in everybody else's court now when it comes to Raj, like, he's proven himself. So he just sits back, enjoys his time in La Rochelle, and, you know, they want to win a, they want to win a top 14 championship. That's another on the, on the bucket list there. Will it happen this year? I don't know. But you think they've they've got the wherewithal to get it done? If not this year, maybe the next year after that. So, yeah, it's, it, the the world is his oyster and delighted for him because he he has taken risks in his career. You know, let's be fair. Um, La Rochelle was a risk in and of yeah. itself. Oh, absolutely. He took risks. Like he just went straight into as a kicking coach into racing. Then he went off to New Zealand. It was a big risk of going to New Zealand. You know, like that's where you're. If you're going to get found out, you get found out in New Zealand as a coach. And then he comes back and he takes La Rochelle on and he, put, he, he digs in there and he does a great job. And then he gets, so he's taken risks in his career, which means himself, he's got a good attitude. He's hungry. He wants to learn, as you all know saying, but he, he, he wants to drive himself on. No different than when he was a player. So I'm no surprises there. So yeah, he's got a phenomenal career in front of him. Where it'll take him, I don't know. But yeah, I, I hopefully at some point it'll be back on, 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 on Irish soil. Yeah, let's see how things go over the next few years. Eddie and Fiona, thanks a million for joining us on this week's RT Rugby Podcast. Rugby coming up on RT this weekend. Ulster and Munster live radio commentary in the URC this Friday evening on RT Radio 1, radio One Extra. And then the other quarterfinal this week involving the Irish teams, Leinster against Glasgow Warriors at the RDS, is live on RT1 this Saturday, 2.45pm on air, 3.15 kickoff. And there'll also be radio updates on that on Saturday Sport on RT Radio 1. Thanks a million, guys. And we'll see you again next week. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Bye. See you later. Thanks a million. Bye, Eddie. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.